was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Welcome to Line of the Southwest. I'm Amy Cooper, and I'm happy to tell you that Lonnie Poindexter is here co-hosting with me again today. Yay! Thank you, Amy. And you know what, Lonnie? I want you to introduce our super special guest. Well, I was going to have to elbow my way in to do it anyway, because I'm excited to uh, announce these two individuals are very special to me. In fact, they are part and parcel to why I do what I do for a living. Back in 2012, I met them. In Washington, yeah, I was really happy when I was talking to you, and you go, well, I know him. And I'm like, well, get him here. I've been <laughs> wanting him for like three, four years. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. and uh, so I'd like to introduce to all of you, uh, Walter and uh, Lori Hoy uh, from the great state of California. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Thank you very much. Very welcome, Good Pastor. Very well. Um, I don't even know where to start with them, other than the fact that, um, as I stated prior, what I do has a lot to do with these two individuals here. They're the first two people I met after I had made the decision that, okay, Lord, uh, is this what you want me to do? And uh, we were in Washington, D.C., and Star Parker says, come to dinner with me. I want to introduce you to two good friends of mine. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we sat there at dinner, and I'm looking across there, and his voice sounds familiar and his way, and then it finally dawns on me, oh, my goodness, I've been following him in social media. He's that pastor that went one-on-one with the city of Oakland. Wow. (laughs) You know, I didn't tell you this, but Mm. for two really super long years, when I was young, we lived in Belmont. So I could see Oakland from where we lived. Mm -hmm. Wow. And um, I was a little country girl from Virginia when Uh. we moved there. Mm. And even then, it was not my cup of tea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just... It was California. It was California, but it was outside of San Francisco. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the kids my age were so worldly, mm-hmm. oh. so advanced. I'm right. like, you're in elementary school. Why are you even talking about these things? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I learned that that was where you guys are from, I was like, they got a battle on their hands just living there. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. California is quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you asking God, are we ever going to get to leave? <laughs> or do you know he's just got you there? Well, that thought has crossed our mind, but God has given us some specific you know, yeah. marching orders, so yeah. we're going to mm-hmm. be there. Yeah. So <laughs> would you like to tell the story about being a pastor? And now you're not a pastor anymore, although mm. like before we even began recording this, to me, you're a pastor to pastors now, trying to yes. help them see mm-hmm. what's going on. Well, in, in, in my church, uh, when I was um, 
you know, in, in my position, I was the Joseph to the Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. I was riding in the second chariot, and, and that meant that I was literally in charge of everything, from, from, from the money to the marrying, the burying, the Lord's Supper, the preaching, the teaching, the counseling. Uh, I, I led the elders meeting. I, I did all of that. Our pastor was, was senior, and so I was literally helping him. And it was during that time that I got approached to go out to an abortion clinic. And the idea was that the, the folk that were there were struggling with getting the women to stop and talk with them. And so their idea was, if you can get a priest, a pastor, a preacher, a minister, an elder, a deacon, someone that uh, the women would recognize from the pulpit, uh, that it would be harder to walk by your pastor than it would be to walk by anybody else. And they thought that they would experiment and ask me to be the first one to try it. And so I did, and all oh my goodness, life took its own path from there. Well, what happened? Well, ultimately, the city of Oakland literally created a law to put me in jail. Mm -hmm. The problem was for the abortion clinic that the women would see my sign. My sign said, God loves you and your baby. Let us help you. The women would walk up to me, and they'd say, Preacher, because they'd recognize me in the pulpit. Then you got to understand, Baby's only got about 10 minutes left to live. We're right, you know, on the public sidewalk, right in front of the abortion clinic. She wants to know that God loves her, and I say yes. She wants to know that if God loves her, does he love her baby? And I say yes. And then she said, well, if all that's true, if God loves me and he loves my baby, will you help me? And oh my goodness, that's exactly what we did. It didn't matter what she needed. It could be groceries. It could be a ride to the store. It could be a place to stay. It could be a doctor. It could be a nurse. It didn't matter what she needed. The, the best assignment was when she wanted me to talk to her boyfriend. I really liked that assignment, all mm. right? But we met her need. And eventually, word got out. There was a black preacher on a public sidewalk helping the sisters. And you know what? Many of them changed their mind and decided not to go forward with the abortion. Mm -hmm. Tell me about talking to the boyfriends. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I, I really had a time talking with them because they were uh, trying to tell me this was the best thing for the woman. Mm -hmm. And so I kept breaking the conversation down. And they had a hard time saying that killing his son, his daughter, the baby was the best thing for her nor could he actually say that was the best thing for him. But I tell you, the, the most difficult time I had was this one guy. Uh, she looked at my sign. She asked me the question. She said, no, I, I think I'm going to go ahead. I was disappointed. She walked by me right on into the clinic. No problem. I saw him, so I went right to him. Now, he was 26 years old. He, before I even said a word to him, he told me that he knew I was right, he knew abortion was wrong, and so I'm kind of off guard. And I said, well, if you know that I'm right, you know abortion is wrong, then you know she's right there, go get her right now. He said no. He said that from 16 to 26, he had, uh, what was that again? He had fathered 16 children. He had fathered 16 children. Two. Only two were still, still. alive because those mothers had 
physical restraining orders against him. Mm -hmm. That's how they kept their children alive. But the rest of the 14 had already, and 15 was walking into the abortion clinic. And then he put his head down and said, you know, I'm just less than a dog. I'm just a dog now. I, I don't have any feelings at all. And he was referring to her. There any feelings for her. He was just going through the motions. At that point, I began to understand the impact abortion was having on men. Mm. Wow. I'm stunned. There are a lot of situations. There, there was one situation with a, a woman, and I mentioned this earlier. She saw my sign. She asked me the questions. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God loves your baby. And with mama, it was always a baby. It wasn't, you know, a tissue. It wasn't a, mm -hmm. a fetus. It was my baby. And then uh, I, I said, sure, I'll help you right now. We are ready for it. It didn't matter what she needed. But she looked at me and she said, I just can't trust you. You're a man. I, I just can't believe what you're telling me. Right. And so she walked right on into the clinic. Now, a couple hours later, she's coming out. And she's standing on the edge of the curb, and she's got her cell phone up. She's trying to call her, her boyfriend for a ride. And she looks back over her shoulder, and she says, you know what? You were right. I should have trusted you. I should have believed you. But I didn't. And she says, does God love me now? Does God still love me? Does he still love my baby? And will you forgive me? Will you forgive me now? Even though she's gone through the procedure, it's all over. It's too late. The child's life is lost. It's gone. It's been taken. And she's grieving at this very moment. And she wants to know if I'll forgive her now. And that's one of the messages I, I, when I'm talking to pastors. Let them know it's important that there may be many in your congregation, particularly if you're a black pastor in a black church, our numbers are you know, off the chart. You've got to be able to express that God will forgive you regardless. Mm -hmm. And that was a big deal. And so that was a huge, huge lesson for me when I was standing in front of the clinic. You know, Walter, when I hear you saying that, I know that a pastor should know how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. That's what should be emanating <coughs> from every pastor is the forgiveness of God. That's their job. What's the problem here? In my community, abortion is the most controversial topic. And the number one reason why black pastors struggle with this, this is the number one reason why they reject the pro-life movement, is that the pastor himself is post-abortive. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, there's an abortion in his life somewhere. Mm -hmm. Could be his mom, could be his wife, could be his son, could be his daughter. He's a black pastor preaching to a black church. Probably the entire congregation is post-abortive. And there's really no help for them. And so it's Planned Parenthood's talking points to allow him to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really a baby, not really a human being. It was her choice. She was underage. This was the best thing for her. And so Planned Parenthood's talking points, the abortion industry's talking points, allow him to get some rest at night. Mm. I don't think God ever will, though. Oh, well, okay, no. Okay, so, so I look at that, and I'm like, you know, that's uh, so pathetic. What are we going to do 
to reach the pastors to help them understand God's forgiveness. Right, right. So that they can walk in that and they can be healed. Well, this is one of the things that the Issue for Life Foundation does, and this is probably- Issues for Life, by the way, is their organization. Thank yes. you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just go to www.issues4life.org. You'll get it on the screen for you. <laughs> well, okay. thank you. We, we have a program that's, that's number one in the country. Uh, what, what we've done is find, we, we have a secret location where we take pastor and wife. I gotta have both of them. I gotta have both him and her. We take them away to a secret location. And for four days, we pour into them. My medical team pours into them. My civil rights team pours into them. My abortion recovery team pours into them. We, we've got a lot of love going in. And we're having that intimate conversation. You see, if you don't have that intimate conversation, you can't get to that personal reason. You can go to all the seminars and conversations if you want to, but they just have to sit and listen. They don't really get a chance to talk. But here, I deliberately keep it small, I deliberately keep it intimate, and we get right to it. And we're able to reach them. So by the end of the four days, we've moved pastor from A to B. Wow. Okay, so are, do you have pastors that are coming in from across the country to do that? Do you go across the country doing that? No. How does it all work? Mm -hmm. Well, I travel quite a bit. And whatever city I go to, there's always some pastor there that actually agrees. They say, yeah, you know, abortion is wrong. The Bible is clear. I'm with you on this. But I really don't know how to implement. I really don't know how to be pro-life in my church and at the same time keep my job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're coming to me. And what I've done is recreate a modern-day version of the Underground Railroad. And like Harriet Tubman, I, I, I'm using her selection criteria. If you wanted to go with Harriet, you had to want to be free. As we all know, every slave didn't want to be free. Mm -hmm. Right. It and scared so him. When mm -hmm. I meet a pastor and he really wants to, then he becomes a candidate. And then I sit down and we, and we work that out. And ours is completely different. You know how when you go to any conference, you got to register, you got to fly there, you got to get your hotel, you got to buy your food and all that kind of stuff like that. Mine is completely different. It costs him absolutely nothing. It's almost as if his wife and he are, are going to a retreat. Mm -hmm. We take care of them. Matter of fact, I hand them their hotel room keys. I don't even want to see their credit card. And from the time they walk in to the time they leave, we're just pouring, and God is doing some amazing things during that time. You know, it's because what you're doing is pouring love into them mm -hmm. and pouring that information into them and helping them understand what a crucial part they play. Absolutely. In everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I can't even imagine what it must be like to be having, having fought so long against people with your own paint job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, well, there's a genocide going on. Mm -hmm. And how that must make you feel. Oh, it, 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 it breaks my heart. When, when, when I look at the total fertility for black women, and I've got reports from the government that go back to 1850, we're talking about the total fertility. Back then, we were looking at 7.9 was our total fertility rate for black women. But by the time we get 
to today, we're down to 1.8. Let me tell you the significance of that. In order for a race, a demographic, to just maintain, right. not grow, not, not become large and successful and blessed, more than the sand or the sea, more than the stars or the sky, not that. Just to maintain, each woman has to have 2.1 children. Well, black America today is down to 1.8. We're no longer replacing ourselves. From about 1850 to today, we've dropped 77%. And when, you were, and when you consider we're not replacing ourselves, and you consider that if we continue to abort our children at the rate we are doing right now, we got about maybe 30 years, yep. 2050, before we reach about 1.3. When you get down to 1.3, that's irreversibility. Yep. There's not a single economic model in the world that can reverse that. So now we're talking about not even being here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's breaking my heart. Yeah. Lonnie said that you need to tell your story. Well, which one? <laughs> which story? Uh, you gotta pick one. Yeah. No. No. You know which story. I know which story? Mm -hmm. Well, my story, I'm part of the 1% that the abortion industry uses to justify abortion. Yes. Cases of rape, incest, you know, life of the month. So I was a child conceived in rape. And I almost didn't get here. Mm. I mean, I was born in 1959. Abortion wasn't legal, but mm -hmm. they could offer you drugs and right. other things to get rid of you. And my mother was offered that. My mother's the youngest of five kids, and she was you know, the hope of her family. She had older sisters, married, you know, single mothers. So she was, she was it. And it's kind of like God weighed in the balance. There were, you know, three on this side to say, hey, or take the drugs. And then there was three, my mom, her closest sister, my grandmother say, don't take the drugs, you can do this. And so, you know, God kind of like, you know, tilted the balance and you know, women say, well, if you're raped, you know, your life is over. If you have the baby, this happens, that happens. My mom graduated class valedictorian, 4.0, kept going, I mean, has managed to, she was a professional instructor, you know, built her own home. I mean, her life didn't stop because I'm here. Mm -hmm. But people tell that story. Yes. You know, because if you, you know, rape, you'll remember the rapist, you'll do this, you'll do that. And you sentence the child who's done nothing. Exactly. To death. And mm. the rapist gets off free. Which, according to scripture, mm -hmm. is against God's law. Yes, it is. Because the perpetrator was the it's, rapist. Exactly. Not the baby. Exactly. And the perpetrator, according to God's law, can get the death penalty. That's right. But not the but baby. But not the innocent. That's right. Yeah. So it's... It's amazing when people try to throw that at me. In fact, a man did that <laughs> in Mississippi. We were running a personhood campaign. And this man was trying to talk this woman out of voting for the personhood, which recognizes the child as a person mm -hmm. from the womb. And he said, you know, if that white man rapes you, you're not gonna wanna keep that baby. And I looked at her and I said, yeah, but that baby was me. Mm -hmm. 
And I wouldn't be talking to you right now if you listen to him. And the person that you want to get is the rapist, not your child. You don't mm -hmm. want to punish your child for something someone else has done to you. Mm -hmm. And it makes you an aggressor. You're going to commit a crime against an innocent because someone else did something to you. So the, the two are not connected. And you really have got to you know, fight for your child and then take on you know, the rapist. Make sure he's punished to the right. full extent of the law. And you and your child can carry on because there's all kind of help you know, around you. You just don't know it. And you know, here's the resources, this and that. And so he really, it was like he threw the, you know, this, the usual you know, pro-abortion, yes, if this happens, you got to do it. But he didn't have an answer for a living you know, testimony to if you don't do it. This is what God can do. So, right. what's your relationship with your mom like? Oh, interesting. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. You know, I mean, single parent. You know, it was it was, it was you know kind of tough, and you know, grandparents on either side. You know, kind of support, kind of mm -hmm. you know, a lot of battle between you know grandparents, parents, in laws, kind of thing. But well, that's typical. Yeah. So kind of being in the middle mm -hmm. you know, kind of just doesn't work out. But the different things that have happened in my family because I exist has been amazing. I mean, just the fact that we were in California at all is because my paternal grandmother wanted to make opportunities available to my mom that weren't available to her in Tennessee mm -hmm. because I exist. Mm -hmm. okay. oh. Yeah. So that's how my mom got to California, got to job, training, employment, you know, my cousins, you know, followed because we were in California. You know, my sister was born in California. I mean, so there's like this trickle down effect that you really don't know. Right. Because if you shortcut what God has for you, right? None of, there's, I mean, I can name at least a dozen people in my family who wouldn't be here. Right. Because they wouldn't have, you know, come to California because I'm not here. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing if you think about it. But. You know, uh, I guess you guys have kind of figured it out. Lonnie and I are really working to help get the church educated mm -hmm. about right. all kinds of things, but right. especially abortion mm -hmm. and the things that are going on. Because I know that if the church gets the information that they need, mm -hmm. instead of hearing the narrative that Planned Parenthood's always giving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They'll do something. The one that's driving me crazy right now that they're doing is mm -hmm. the mother's health is better off if she has an abortion. Right. What? Yeah, maternal mortality. That's, that's not true. And there's, no, it's not true. And there's been some studies that have recently come out that are questioning the validity of the abortion industry studies. Mm -hmm. Now, it's amazing how it's so hard for those studies to get out into the public square. But the abortion industry supporting narrative studies, they just fall right out. They're mm -hmm. right there available for everybody. So you really have to do your homework to take a look at the, the complete story. But that's not true at all. There used to be a time in the 60s where if a woman was struggling with a pregnancy, she, she went to the doctor and the doctor was trying to say, everybody's life, her life, 
and the child's life, mm -hmm. all right? Now, after 1973, Three. Yeah. things change. Yeah, things change. Exactly. And not to mention that abortion contributes to preterm birth, extreme yes. preterm birth, and the, you know, the dangers that go along, the health dangers that go along with that. There's a direct correlation between abortion and breast cancer yep. that took almost 20 years for yeah. that data to yeah. actually get published. And it yeah. is a movie called Hush, mm -hmm. which is really a woman who was a pro-choice person, mm -hmm. but got cancer and was trying to you know, figure out what happened, is it related, and then and basically connected the dots with the data that's out there. But maternal health, is you, I mean, so many things God does when you actually give birth to the child, like you are actually protected from like three or four different kinds of cancers if you give birth to your child. Mm. That's I amazing. Mean, yeah, I mean, the, the antibodies and all these you know, things that come through that process right. that protect you. And they name mm. what, seven, there's like 700 women died in childbirth. It's like, okay, and millions of babies are actually born and so you're still looking at like once again you're looking at that one percent and then that one percent doesn't take into account health it doesn't nowhere does the abortion industry actually address the fact that maybe these women have already had abortions and that is contributing to the maternal mortality but to try or and that they're really sick from something else something else yeah you get blood pressure i mean so many different variables could be at play but they never give you any of those they just say see women died in childbirth and so you need to come along with our program and make sure that you kill your child, don't have your child, it's safer. And abortion is not safe. Mm -mm. Abortion is in no way a safe procedure. In fact, if you think about, um, Tell it. A, one of the things that the Nuremberg trials after the Nazis and the Holocaust, one of the things that was required is that there is no procedure that can be performed on a human being that has not been animal tested. Abortion is the only procedure that's being performed on human beings thousands of times a day that has never been animal tested. There mm. are no, you know, the safeties that precautions that go into the process of having a procedure approved, FDA, da, da, da. none of those things have ever happened with abortion. And yet it happens thousands of times a day. So you're talking about safe. There's no safety in there. There's no medical proof that abortion is safe. Well, and there's lots of proof. And I know the first it's time that, that I heard all mm -hmm. of the things that were tied to abortion, mm -hmm. I was like, what? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. What? Oh, there's a whole list of them. Oh yeah. Nobody ever hears about this stuff. Mm -mm. No, no, that's unfortunate. And the bottom line is that when you talk about abortion, one life is gonna be lost. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You guarantee to end the life of that baby boy or that baby girl, that child, that life is gone. And it can be horribly gone. It, it can be literally physically dismembered piece by piece. And so there's nothing safe about abortion to begin with. Mm -mm. And you can't just think about piece by piece without realizing that they have a uh, proven mm -hmm. that that baby feels pain. Oh, yeah. So, you know. Oh, yeah. The child feels pain. We're talking about a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And so if we're measuring that, oh, my goodness. Uh, it's 
absolutely clear that what's on the inside of a woman is a live, living, breathing human being. It's a child, it's a baby boy. That's where we are at that particular stage of life. And it starts when they're just little tiny. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. From our earliest biological beginning until God calls us home, we're human beings created in his image. Yes. And we should have the right to live. We do have a right to live. Mm. Mm -hmm. We have an inalienable right mm -hmm. to live. Mm -hmm. God gave us that right. He did. And who are we mm -hmm. to ever say, no, you don't have a right to live. You're right. You don't, mm -hmm. you don't have a right to see the light of day. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. God understands our circumstances. Mm -hmm. He understands what we're up against. He understands the world we're living in. He understands, you know, what our future is going to be. And yet and still, he, in his infinite wisdom, his love, his mercy, and his grace, gives life to that child inside the womb of that mother. And we come along and say, you know what? God doesn't know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Here, let's kill the baby. And oh my goodness, there are so many things that go wrong when we start thinking that way. Well, the first thing that goes wrong is God doesn't know what he's doing kill the baby because, you know, um, things might be a little bit harder for us. We might have to give up some things, mm -hmm. you know, whatever our selfish excuses might be. And I look at this and I'm like, I don't know about you guys, mm -hmm. but it's been the really hard things in my own personal life mm -hmm. that made me understand how great God really is mm -hmm. and how much he loves me. Mm-hmm. And I think every challenge that every person faces is actually an opportunity to get to know God a whole lot better. Yep, mm -hmm. absolutely. Especially when it comes to babies. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You know, I, I, I can remember when I wasn't pro-life. I mean, I didn't care about the issue one way or another until the birth of my firstborn son. He was born a little less than six months, born at two pounds, one ounce. And so he was a little bitty preemie, all mm -hmm. right? Ultimately, he went down to 1.6, but it, when he was at 1.9, the doctors wanted to have that conversation with me. We've done all we can. We can't save the life of your child. We're just gonna keep your child as comfortable as we can, but your child, your son, is going to die. Well, I refused to accept that. I told the doctor, I know a greater physician than you. And so I went home that night to pray about it. I prayed all night long. And you know what? I didn't get one word from God that night. So I'm up early in the morning. I'm back in the hospital. I'm in the pre ward. And I'm holding my son in the palm of my right hand. He's down to 1.9 now. In the past, I could only see the, the needles, the, the tubes, the hospital apparatuses. I really wasn't actually seeing my son. But this particular time, I was beholding him. I was looking at his eyes and his fingers and his toes, and I began to see my son in a completely different light. And while I was beholding him, that's when God answered me. And literally God said, Walter, this is what's supposed to be on the inside of a woman. And when God told me that, it was clear to me what abortion is and what abortion does. 
and our son is alive and well today. Yeah, I can't, yeah, I, I, I gotta <laughs> mention that. Thank you. He is alive oh, and well goodness. today. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that that, changed that'll me. kind of be a life changer, sitting there holding your little baby. Right there, right there. You know, but as you were saying that about beholding your son, you know, there's a scripture that talks about God knowing us in our mother's womb mm. and knitting us together. Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a pretty awesome God. He's pretty mm -hmm. big and he can be involved in everything all at mm -hmm. the same time. Mm -hmm. all the he same can be time. talking to me while he's talking to you. Mm -hmm. And every single baby that he's knitting together, every single baby, every life. he's mm -hmm. beholding them. Mm -hmm. and pouring himself mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, you had a quote that you were going to share with us. <laughs> sure. I was, like, really super excited to find out that you guys mm -hmm. actually know this guy that I just found out about. Oh, you <laughs> just found out about Neil? Yeah. And, okay, so... Neil is first, amazing. First, let's, let's uh, mention the book. It's going to be required reading for everybody. The uh, t <laughs> title of the book is uh, Jesus... Um, is involved in politics. Uh, why aren't you, why isn't your church the only way to a happier, healthier, safer, and mutually uh, prosperous, prosperous, excuse prosperous. Me, America? There's not a subject that he does not not Neil. Neil no is after. awesome. Neil yes, is. is amazing. This is an amazing book. I'll be looking at getting him here, too. <laughs> but when I saw your name in there, I was like, well, of course. That makes... Well, Neil Mammon is pretty phenomenal. Yes. Here's a quote that says, this book is biblically bold, un un uncompromising, and timely treatise. Is that treatise? Uh, that offers more than suggestions exhortations, condemnations, commendations, excuse me, and testimonials. Uh, the div this divinely inspired message offers a strategy, strategy that, that cannot fail. And that's from a uh, Reverend Walter Hoy. <laughs> it's this phenomenal yeah. book. Mm -hmm. It is an excellent book. Get your hands on a copy from our bookstore. It will be available mm -hmm. there. Well, Jesus I'm going to have to get it in is. stock. Yeah. But until then, get it. Just get it. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. you got to yeah. read this book. Okay, so. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's, here's the thing that I am really beginning to understand. We're talking about the narrative of Planned Parenthood and what they say and how quickly it hits the media. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of unity. Oh, yeah. In the people who are against everything that's God. There's a lot of unity there. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus prayed that we'd have unity. Right. And there's no unity over here. Mm -hmm. So what is going on? Mm. Well, the number one thing is that we've got to start talking about it from the pulpit. We can talk about everything, all the Ten Commandments. We could talk about the Old Testament, the New Testament. But abortion is the most controversial subject. And so until we start talking about it in the pulpit, we're not going to be able to get to that point where we can properly address it and meet the needs of the women and the children, the men the fathers that are right there directly impacted by this issue. Mm -hmm. So how do we go about getting pastors involved enough like where they can go to the issues for life thing for pastors and their wives, where yeah. you can pour into them and, hey. and we can start seeing some change? Because I know nothing 
in this country is going to change mm -hmm. until the church stands up. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, let, let me share this, this, this modern day underground railroad that, that we're, we're doing, uh, that this quite successful God has just blessed it, uh, is, is a result of being at large conferences, you know, 200, 300, 400 black pastors in the conference. The problem is that at the conference you sit, you listen to the great speaker, awesome speaker, awesome accommodations. It's great. The venue's awesome. The problem is you can't have that intimate conversation. There's a personal reason why he's not talking about this subject mm -hmm. right here. And if you can't ever get to that, you can't get to him and helpfully, hopefully get him to the point where he can talk about it. Mm -hmm. So you've got to create an environment where you can minister to him. I mean, to tell you, in, in, our, in our Underground Railroad, on the, very, on the second day, we had a pastor get up and literally confess his sin for the first time in front of his wife. She was shocked. But we were having that intimate conversation. We were getting right to it. And all oh my goodness, God stepped in and took over. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we had this conversation with um, Bishop E.W. Jackson yeah, the other yeah, day yeah. about people uh, holding things in mm -hmm. and, and covering it up and just and it's eating them. Mm -hmm. It's eating them alive. It's making them ineffective. It's keeping them bound. Right. It's, it's mm -hmm. just, and it's only through being able to mm -hmm. safely talk about something in right. a safe place. Right. Mm -hmm. we, we take them out of their office. You can't have that intimate conversation in that office. No. We take them out of the city. Some are so popular you can't even have it in the city. Mm -hmm. We take them to a secret location, him and his wife, there are no expenses to him. They're on a retreat. It's very nice. They're very comfortable. Everything is wonderful. And in that setting, right there, that's when God goes to work. You know, I think it's also important that um, people that are dealing with things like that, it's like that young man that you were talking about, about the, at the beginning who had had so many of his own children aborted. Wow. Mm -hmm. and just calling himself a dog. There's no hope for me. Mm -hmm. You know, here's the thing about God. Mm. When he sent his son, mm -hmm. his son paid for every sin mm -hmm. from the beginning of time to the end. Right. And he knew full well the heart of mankind. Mm -hmm. He knew how wicked we, we are. Right. He, he already knew all of the nasty, horrible things that everybody was going to do. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But yet he still sent him. Mm -hmm. to pay the price for that. Oh, Lord. Oh, mm -hmm. Lord. When you think about what's available to us, it's just heartbreaking. It, particularly as a Christian, if you have unconfessed sin in your life, you're not going to be comfortable. That's going to eventually get to a point where if you're going to have the relationship that you want with God, you're going to have to address that unconfessed sin, get on your knees, and ask God to forgive. You're gonna to have to settle that with God. Well, abortion is one of those issues that we don't talk about. Right. It's one of those issues that we really don't come to grips with. And unfortunately, we, we, we try to spend the rest of our lives living off the abortion industry's talking points, and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so eventually, 
we break down and we're not as effective at whatever we're doing as we could be. So you've got to create an environment where something like that can, can happen. And that's where our modern day version of the Underground Railroad really comes into play. Lonnie, mm -hmm. you're a post-abortive father. Yes. How long did it take you to be able to even speak about that? After uh, meeting these two. Well, really? That's when I started talking about it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've been from 2012 going forward. Mm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And it set you free, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Once I discovered it did that, folks couldn't shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everybody knows. Well. And uh, to the point it even makes uh, family members uncomfortable. Well, well you know shouldn't share all your business. No, it's very cathartic for me. And if it'll stop somebody from going down the path I went down, mm -hmm. I'm more than willing to jump out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, sin is sin. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. it, it's not like you're going to, like, forget about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We not. have an enemy. He's going to remind you about yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Constantly. Mm -hmm. Constantly. And that's why we've got to talk about it from, from the pulpit. There, there, there have been times when, when, I'm, when I'm talking to her or I'm talking to him and she's telling me her pastor talks about everything but this but one this. sin mm -hmm. and she's sitting there thinking have I committed a sin so bad mm -hmm. that not even my pastor will talk about it mm -hmm. and she, she's feeling blood guilty and she's feeling as if there's no hope now because he doesn't mind talking about every other sin every other deal, all the Ten Commandments Old Testament, New Testament, he's bold He's awesome, he's a great preacher, great teacher, but this is one subject that he's not mm -hmm. talking about. And so she's starting to wonder within herself. And so it's critical, if we're gonna make the strides we need to make in this country regarding the abortion issue, we've gotta be able to reach the church's leadership. You got to, because there's too many women that are hurting. And mm -hmm. we uh, mentioned earlier all the different things that are tied to abortion, mm -hmm. breast cancer, Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Drug addiction. Drug addiction. You know, food addiction. You know, all there's, kind of stuff. There's a lot of things. Oh, and yeah. we know that mm -hmm. people can get set free because we have a big God. They can. Yes, and they uh, can. we also know what happens when they're not set free. In the case mm -hmm. of uh, a relative that I've shared on previous mm -hmm. shows who mm -hmm. developed an um, eating disorder and died mm -hmm. because she stopped eating. Mm -hmm. She was never... She never got over that. Mm -mm. You know, we've mm -mm. had different people on, on the program, and I'm, I'm thinking about uh, Catherine Davis oh, yeah. and how during her second abortion, wow. mm -hmm. and she's talking about she's laying there, and she's hearing the doctor count the body parts of her right. baby. Right, mm -hmm. right. And, and how she had to just put that out of her head. Mm -hmm. But, man, she became a raging alcoholic. Mm -hmm. She did. Mm -hmm. In fact, Jesus showed up to her when she was drunk. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking about Bishop Jackson mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how he went years and years and years. He's in his 40s and uh, didn't know his, his mom at all. Mm. And he's in his 40s and like every time his mother's name is mentioned or something, he just breaks down and cries. Mm -hmm. And he's in his 40s. Right. See... We can only suppress things for so long. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
it's never been designed for us to be able to live with our sin. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We die as a result of our sin. Mm -hmm. And it's Christ's death on the cross. It's mm -hmm. his sacrifice. It's what he did for us that sets us free. Mm -hmm. And so when you have unconfessed sin of any kind, of any type, eventually that's going to take life away from you, mm -hmm. not give life to you. You know, I just want people to understand who our God really is. It's mm -hmm. like he laid down, mm -hmm. he gave us his word, laid down the right and the wrong. This is sin. Don't do it. This is the good stuff. Do do this. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't want us sinning. No. Because he can't have anything to do with that. Absolutely. And he wants us with him. Right. He wants us with him so much that he sent his son to pay for all of the crap that we've done. Absolutely. Just so we can say, will you please forgive me so we can get in with him. Right. Amen. And until you taste and see that he is good right. mm -hmm. and you feel that freedom mm -hmm. from something that he has delivered you from. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. You just can't even under, you can't comprehend that mm -hmm. that's possible. Exactly. No. That you can actually breathe and smile and life's pretty. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amen. Oh, yeah. When I think about how God saved my soul and when he came into my life and what I was facing, as a, as a young man, and, and what a difference he's made in my life since then. I, I could only wish I would have come to know him even sooner. Well, mm -hmm. how did you come to the Lord? My goodness, I'm a young man in Detroit, Michigan. This is 1967, and I'm sitting up in church, and my life is a disaster. I, 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 it's, I, I'm, it's falling apart. Nothing that I'm doing is working, and I'm miserable. I, I'm even flunking out of school on purpose because I found out that if I flunked out of school, I'd be had to have more friends. There were more guys that had more friends. They were all flunking out. The guys that were getting their homework done, the guys that were doing all the good stuff, they didn't have a whole bunch of friends. Mm. And so I was deliberately flunking, flunking mm. just so that I could have more friends. But that wasn't working either, all right? Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in, on, on, in the second pew in the church and my parents are sitting behind me my, my sister is, is, is sitting over here joanne and the preacher's done preaching and i'm sitting there going well lord can i believe a, a word he said is, is anything the preacher says to is is it true about coming to you and the lord spoke to me he said walter you can believe the preacher it's true and when i heard that i got up off my seat I gave the preacher my hand, but I gave God my heart. And you know what? After I got up, my sister got up. Mm. Mm. She came to the Lord at the same time. And so since then, God has been moving in my life in dramatic ways. He's, he's shaped me. He's strengthened me. He has saved me from so many things. So I, I can only wish that, you know, I had come to Christ at, you know, zero. <laughs> in the womb. You know, I wish I could have come, boom, right there. Mm -hmm. What about you, Lori? How'd you come to the Lord? <laughs> well, actually, Walter led me to Christ, but first God had to wreck my car. <laughs> okay. All things work all together. Things, yeah, all things good. work together for good. But I'm a, you know, up and coming professional. I'm a, you know, systems programmer. I've got condo, cars, and I am just 
moving and shaking and church don't have nothing, you know. To offer. To offer, exactly. Wow. And literally a woman, and the woman had to work hard to hit me, okay? <laughs> I mean, literally I'm going straight. She's, you know, my car is wrecked. I'm like incapacitated. And I have this orthopedic shoe on my foot because my foot was injured. You know, my big toe was like, you know, so I'm like crippled. So all the stuff that I have been doing, you know, work, gym, you know, working out, you know, just going, traveling, doing all that. I can't do any of that because I got this shoe on my foot and I can't walk. I can barely drive. And one of the parts of my job is I troubleshoot problems. Well. Mm -hmm. One of the people that calls me and gives me problems is Walter. It was. It was. So Walter's this voice at three o'clock in the morning, you know, Lori, this is broken. Can you take a look at it? Kind of thing. And so we always talked and we always chatted. And I, like I said, I've worked, you know, 60 hours was a good week. And it was just kind of like you said, it's just not that fulfilling. And now I can't go and do anything else but go to work. So. Mm. What else am I going to do? So he actually talked to me. He said, well, you know, I used to belong. We were talking about church. And I said, yeah, I used to go to church. I did this, did this, did this. And so he said, well, you know, maybe you might want to go back to church. So I went back and it was kind of like hung out, was visiting, you know, it was a church I grew up in. And it's interesting that one of the things, the first Sunday I get to church, the church is looking for math tutors, right? Right up your alley. My forte, you know, my favorite subject, what I do. So I become a math tutor. So I'm helping kids with their homework after, you know, church. And, and I get all, you know, so we're still talking about, you know, coming back to the Lord. And finally, one Sunday, you know, God just says, you know, you can go for it right now. I'm wearing an orthopedic shoe, but I went to I don't know how many shoe stores to get a shoe for my other foot. That was the same level as the orthopedic shoe, so I'm not hip hop. So I'm walking real smooth. I come down, you know, the pastor who was a pastor when I was younger, you know, before I went to college, you know, he's still pastoring the church. And so I come down to, you know, ex you know give him my hand, give my, my heart to the Lord. And he takes the time out to say, she's working with our kids and she's doing this, doing this. And she, even her foot is hurt. And I was like, dude, do you know how much energy I went through to make sure no one even noticed my foot is hurt? And you're like, <laughs> she's injured. And I was like, okay. But came back to the church, came to the Lord. I almost, almost didn't make it though. I was being baptized because I hadn't been baptized. And my grandmother has me wearing like three baptismal robes. They're cotton. And so I'm looking at this going, okay, this is not going to bode well, but I get in the baptismal pool and the pastor puts me under the water and then I feel all of this on my neck, like I'm not gonna make it. And so he's trying to pull me up and I'm just like, okay, engage my abs, stand up, you know, come out of the baptismal pool. It's like close. It's like, okay, God's trying to drown me, right? I've been gone, <laughs> done all this stuff. But I survived being baptized and, you know, got more involved in church which was kind of interesting and kind of God kept using my nine to five skills in church doing things. I got volunteered for a database project. That was kind of interesting. Church mm -hmm. wanted to actually put their membership 
on computer, you know, so you can track, you know, offering, giving, and all that kind of stuff. And some lady just called me out of the blue on Saturday and said, the pastor said that you can do, and I was like, okay, my grandmother. So you got involved with church really quick, whether you went into or not. Oh, yeah, doing, (laughs) yeah, whether I wanted to or not. Yeah, the tutoring was even more, you know, kids were like volunteering me for doing, oh, wait, she does math. And then we do, you know, the parents, would like buy me lunch after church so they could leave their kids with me for like the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. We do everybody, all your homework is done on Sunday. And I'm wondering, you know, like you guys got out of school, you know, Friday and you didn't do anything then Saturday, they save it all up and come to church <laughs> and get it done on Sunday. So it was just a whole lot of stuff, but I'm working with youth, young people and crazy. So where was this guy when all that was going on? Well, he actually was in San Diego. He uh-huh. was, I worked in Northern California, he worked in San Diego, but this computer system I worked on uh-huh. were, ran in San Diego and Northern California. So that's how, when stuff broke, I get a call in the middle of the night to say, right. hey. So then something broke really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my coworkers did something that was just like really bad. And all the people that work with Walter decided that they would only talk to me. And so I had to fly to San Diego I was like the sacrificial lamb. Okay, I gotta go and smooth it over with like 15 people. And so they'll talk to us again. And they gave me a tour of you know the data center and everything that they do. And so our offer was, okay, we can see what you guys do. You wanna come and see what we do so we have a better understanding of how we impact each other. Mm-hmm. And so Walter was the only person in his group that wanted to come and see what we did. And he ended up being a programmer and you know, like the rest is yep, history. Yep, yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. So how long have you guys been married? Wow. Go 30. For 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. yeah, this year our 30th. 30th yeah. anniversary. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm all excited. Yeah. That's pretty doing cool. doing all kind of crazy stuff. People our age don't usually make it that long anymore. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 True. You know, I think that um, the Lord always knows what he's doing. Hmm. Because my question to you is when you found yourself um, completely changed in your attitude about Mm. abortion Mm. and you knew just because of the things that were happening, because you were a happy little associate pastor. Yep. And now all of a sudden that life's over. That was Mm -hmm. over. Where was she in all this? My goodness, by the time I got to the point where I have to do something. Mm -hmm. I was in my church in Berkeley and I decided that we were going to have a special conference. Now Lori's with me at this point. Mm -hmm. She's with me, we're side by side working together, but um, because I was riding in a second chair, I could literally do what I wanted to in a church. And so I decided we were going to start talking about the stuff we only talked about in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. There were some issues that were never brought up in the sanctuary, never brought up in the church. But then you get in the parking lot, oh yeah, my daughter, my son, my husband, my wife, all these conversations, these parking lot conversations would come up. Mm-hmm. But we would never address these issues actually in the church. 
So I decided. Well, you want to do it outside of God's earshot. No, <laughs> okay, that, that must be it. And so I decided to put together a, a, a conference called Issues That Matter. And it was just all parking lot conversation issues. None mm -hmm. of the usual stuff we, we, we do in church, only from the parking lot. And one of those issues was abortion. And so we invited Star Parker to come and Dr. Clenar Childress to come. Mm -hmm. And that changed everything. Mm -hmm. The church changed. We got a chance to address issues from a perspective that we had never seen before. And that actually ended up emboldening me to actually learn from Dr. Clenar Childers mm -hmm. and Star Parker. Mm -hmm. Wow. So things really took a turn then. For it you. really took a turn. We did this issues of matter, what's it, two, 2005? Three? We did. Three of them, I think. Yeah, I think we did three, we did three, three years of them, in a row. The first yeah. one was 2005. It was awesome. Yeah. So is that where the Issues for Life, the name of your organization, came from? It you know? does, Issues yeah. that matter, Issues yeah. for Life. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're winding up this first hour. We got one more hour to go. Uh -huh. And in the next hour, I'm just going to... But kind of, I think, turn you guys loose and really let you talk about things that you never get to talk about. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I know it sounds dangerous, but you know, it's actually the stuff that people need to hear. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I hope people are gathering out of this is that pastors are hurting. Mm -hmm. And if a pastor is hurting, the pastor isn't free in the Lord to be able to minister That's right. how he mm -hmm. would have them minister. Right. Mm -hmm. He wants to flow freedom through them. Right. So, you know, I've always been an advocate for pastors mm -hmm. because of that very thing that I've known that they're hurting and that they deal with a lot of things that, that people uh, have no clue about. And you know, that's actually something that you guys probably have in common, and mm -hmm. I hadn't even thought about that. What's that? Huh. What's that? Supporting pastors. Of course. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, don't you go away, because we're going to be back right after this. Okay, we're back for our second hour with Walter and Lori Hoy. Hey. 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 Okay, so you were mentioning mm -hmm. during that little break that it was actually um, Clenar Childress and Star Parker that invited you to a what? Invited us to the Walk for Life West Coast. Mm -hmm. They came to our church for the Issues That Matters conference in two th August 2005, mm -hmm. and both Star and Clenard were going to be speaking at the Walk for Life in January of 2006. Right. And so they said, you got to come out to San Francisco, pro-life walk. And we said, okay. We had the flyer. The first walk was in 2005. <laughs> right, and we had the right. flyer. We put it up in our church and no one signed up to no go. No one signed up, yeah. We had a conflict, so we couldn't go. And so when 2006 came, since we knew they were coming, we're like, yay, we'll get people from church to go. And it was Walter and I and one other lady, Christiana, who is 80 years old. So yep. the three of us yep. were the contingent from our church. From the entire church. For the wow. whole church of more than 300 people. Mm -hmm. And wow. yeah, two of our friends mm -hmm. came with us. Mm -hmm. And so we're the five. We have a banner with our church name on it and life. And we're at this walk. And 
we're around the stage because we're looking for a Clenard and Star. And this little senior lady walks up to me and asks me, can she take my picture? Right. right. And I'm, okay, it's kind of strange, but you know. I said, okay. So she takes my picture and as she's walking away and she's talking to her friend, she says, I'm going to send this to my friend in DC. See, black people do care about life. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, okay. And we, we turned out to be the black contingent at right. the Walk for Life West Coast right. wow. that year. And so Star was speaking. Mm-hmm. And so she literally pulled us up onto the stage behind her with our banner mm-hmm. and you know everything. And as she spoke, and then she stepped back and Clenard stepped up and he closes the rally out. And so we're all standing behind Dr. Childress and some of the people, the people that approached Walter were at the walk. And I don't think they didn't know who we were, but they knew Dr. Childress. So they called him in New Jersey to see if he knew a pastor in California who might be willing to, you know, work with them on this project to come out on the sidewalk. So that's kind of how the, it's kind of like in the rest, as they say, is history. Because you know, mm. they got Walter on the sidewalk and then this Oakland City Ordinance and jail and, you know, and here we are now. So it was, uh, but that's how it got started with us wanting to address the issues that are being talked about in the parking lot and not in the pulpit. And then once we addressed those issues and then we actively got involved mm-hmm. with the Walk for Life West Coast and then, you know, here we are. So. You know, what's interesting about that is that you hear this woman saying, see, there are black people who care, who about, care about life. life. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I remember Catherine making a statement mm-hmm. about when there's this Planned Parenthood thing. Mm-hmm. They have three or four black women oh, yeah. right there in the front. Right. And mm-hmm. Their picture is, yeah. is um, oh, yeah. the we're, thing that's used. Oh, yeah. We're the poster. Mm-hmm. So are, you're the poster children, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. There's no, no question about that, but black America has been used in the abortion industry in, in terms of promoting it since the very foundation of the abortion industry. Well, that probably had something to do with Margaret Sanger. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And so not much has changed. You know, we're still being used one way or another to continue to promote this. And I believe that if we were to reject the abortion industry, we could bring abortion to an end. You could. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It could happen. It could happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, personally, I'm kind of um, fed up with mm-hmm. the black community mm-hmm. being used as pawns mm-hmm. for everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want white America, mm-hmm. the white American church, mm-hmm. to wake up and smell the coffee. Wow. Mm-hmm. And step forward and start doing something about this. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of white America has been oblivious. They've been just as duped mm-hmm. as the rest of society. But as the church, it's our responsibility to get unduped, to get educated right. and put a stop mm-hmm. to whatever it might be that's causing all these problems that there's no denying there are. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am. Well, we're on the same page. We're on the same team. We serve the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're my sister in Christ. I'm your brother in Christ. It's not just you're my brother in Christ. It's not just that. We're, there's only one race. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we understand that. Oh, yeah. 
Maybe there's people out there who don't understand that. It's our job to make them understand it. Absolutely. And when you grasp that one blood, one race, we're all human, made in the image of God, then all of a sudden the, the problems that surround us just seem to drop off from the left and from the right because we realize we have more in common than we don't. And oftentimes what we don't have in common is not enough to even be you know, concerned about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's actually meaningless in many cases. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always been interesting to me that I know that prejudice has to be taught. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It has to be mm -hmm. taught. We had a, a, a gentleman on here. He was in his 90s. He passed away just a few years ago. Right. But he was one of the, the men that during World War II, um, stepped into the concentration camp. Oh, my mm. goodness. Oh. But before he went to war, he was prejudiced against Jews, mm -hmm. blacks, and there was one other thing. Mm. During the war, he was taught that growing up, because now he's like, what, 18, 20 years old, goes right. to war. Mm -hmm. During the war, God used one person from each one of those groups to get rid of that prejudice. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and God does that. Uh, I, I'm an example of that. Growing up in Detroit, I grew up in an all-black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was just my neighborhood. I, I, I didn't think of it as the hood. Right. It was just where I lived and grew up. But in 1967, my dad broke the color line in the NFL. They had players back then, but they did not have any of us black Americans working in the front offices. So Buddy Young went to New York and to their headquarters in New York. And my dad went from Detroit to San Diego, California. Mm -hmm. I went from an all black environment, which I was very comfortable with, mm -hmm. to now an all white environment. Because my dad's working in the NFL now and we're the first ones to, to do that. <laughs> and so it was a complete completely eye-opening experience for me, but God used that experience mm -hmm. to help me understand that, oh my goodness, um, I had more in common with uh, members of another race mm -hmm. than I thought. Mm -hmm. And God used that to heal my heart and cure me of being racist. Mm -hmm. That's how he does it. Yeah, that's how he does. So you moved there and you were racist because that was what you were taught? Well, I was growing up and I just loved all black. It was all yeah, black, it was all good, and it was all white. I had nothing in common, nothing was working. And then I began to see some things a bit differently because of where God had placed me. Uh, and I began to understand that, wait a minute, the problem isn't the color of our skin. The right. problem is the character in our heart. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for these experiences that I had growing up, moving to San Diego, I'm not so sure I'd be any, um, any different than I was when I was growing up in Detroit and loving it. Mm -hmm. It just occurred to me, you're one of the, the people in content of character. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. I am. Yeah. So you have a lot of stuff on your plate, actually. Mm. What an interesting um, job God has created for you. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I would like, have. Wow. Uh, all I ever wanted to do growing up was to play football. Loved <laughs> it. 
I played it all the way at Michigan State University. Loved it, loved it. I, I was going to go to pro. My dad was in the pros. I worked out with the pros. I practiced with the pros. I didn't need an agent. I could read. I could write. I all knew all ages. I knew everything about being a pro. I could just walk right on in. I knew how to get in camp myself. I was already in camp practicing with him. All I wanted to do was play football. But God said no. Bam, and organized uh, <laughs> the circumstances in my life to not let that happen. And then he began to work in me and change me and begin to turn my attention to what was happening in his communities. And ultimately, he led me to what I'm doing today. Yeah. How did he wreck your car and make you become a pastor? Because that's oh, what first happened. Oh, man, man, oh. man. I, um... I remember all of a sudden, um, but let me start with this way. I'm at Michigan State University and God is making it clear that I'm not gonna play football. Mm -hmm. He's making it clear. That's a story within itself, but he's making it clear. Now, is that, you mean he's making it clear in your heart? He's telling you this or he's lining up everything around you to go, I am not gonna let this circumstances. happen. Circumstances. He mm -hmm. organized the circumstances mm -hmm. in my life playing the game that I was good at and loved it. I had already been to the pro level, so to speak, all right? That that was not gonna happen, all right? Mm -hmm. So then I started to become, I got very, very interested in the civil rights movement. Dr. Martin King read every book, saw every film. Uh, I did all of that, but eventually, I finished my master's degree at Michigan State University. I'm now going back home, I'm gonna work on my doctorate degree in business. My dad said, you know, do business, do business, do business. So I'm going to work on my DBA. And then all, all, all of a sudden, God begins to get my attention uh, in ways I just never dreamed of. And one of those ways was all of a sudden I fell in love with preaching. I could not <laughs> stop hearing preaching. I'd hear preaching in the shower. I hear it in the car. I, could, I couldn't go to enough church services. I, when this church service finished, I drove to the next church. And when that church service finished, I drove to the one at night. You know, mm -hmm. I hit all the revivals. I hit all the conferences. You were a fanatic. I mm -hmm. could not hear mm -hmm. enough preaching, but I never thought I could be a preacher until one day, a preacher friend of mine came over and he said, you know, Walter, the Bible says if a man desire the work of a bishop, he desire a good work. Mm. I said, well, you know, I, I desire that. And that eventually led me to accept my call to preaching. Right. And when I did that, boom. Yeah. Boom. My life took, went on to a whole another level. And that actually shaped. I went working at, at, at Pac Bell and the phone company uh, to I was working full time in my church. And that led me to say, well, you know what? I'll, I'll finish the DBA later. Just go ahead and give me the master's. Give me the MBA now. I was so far ahead. It's says, sure. It gave me the, 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 the uh, MBA. And I've never looked back. From then on, I've been almost completely involved in my church. Amazing. So what is it about preaching that gives you such passion? You know, preaching a, a allows me to communicate a message that is so relevant to our lives. I mean, it, it, uh, uh, there's nothing above and beyond the, the, the salvational aspects of Christ and coming to Christ and saving the soul and all of that. 
But there are biblical models in life. And I can remember talking about biblical economic models. I mean, there are biblical models for the husband, for the wife, for the family. And these biblical models were the answer to the problems that we were facing in the community. Right. I mean, if you really want to get right down to it, there's even a biblical models for immigration. Right. If, we want to, if we just want to get it all into the Bible, yes. mm -hmm. the Bible had the answers. Mm -hmm for what we were facing in our lives. And as a young man, you know, just wanting to help his community, wanting to be a, a, a blessing to his people, I had the answer. And guess what? It was working. Mm -hmm. God's way does work. Mm -hmm. And oh my goodness, I got such a joy and I felt so good being a part of the answer and not just simply a part of the problem. Mm. Now see, you just said something that is like really in my heart. Hmm. That's why the church has to get it in gear. Mm -hmm. oh. We have the answer. We have the answer. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. There's, there's no question about that. There's not a problem that we're facing today. You name it. That there isn't the answer for it right there in the scripture. And scripture gets right down to the heart of the matter. Mm -hmm. And the closer we are to the scriptural model. Right. The closer we are to answer, the closer we are to solution, the closer we are to the healing, the forgiveness, all of that's right there for us when we get closer and closer to the Word of God. Yeah. Hmm. Very true. Oh, yeah. Walter, when you're looking at people in this nation, hmm. doesn't matter what age they are, except it seems to get, the younger they get, the more pronounced this becomes. They're angry. Mm -hmm. They're hopeless. Mm -hmm. And when you're seeing people like that, and you know we have the answers. Mm -hmm. You know the church is the only place that has the answers. We've got it. They're angry, they're hopeless because we're not doing our job. Does it make you want to scream too? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and she, Lori can tell you, uh, I, I, I run and I run long distance and it's not running fast, I'm not breaking any world records. Don't worry, the gold medal is safe. You, you know, I'll <laughs> never get it. But I'm not running necessarily because of the exercise. Running for me is therapeutic and so when I'm running, I'm listening to the Bible, and while I'm listening to the Bible while I'm running, I'm hearing God's voice talk to me through His Word. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's comforting, it's relieving, and it, it, it helps me work through the, the issues and the struggles that I'm personally dealing with. And then at the end of it, it strengthens me so that now I can go meet my brother, go meet my sister, and actually be a blessing to them at the same time. So understanding God's word, getting involved in God's word, letting it be a, a permanent part of my life, let it be the arbiter of what's right and what's wrong, what's wrong? has really freed me in ways that I couldn't even imagine. Mm -hmm. When did it hit you that the Bible had all the answers? It, 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 finally, it finally hit me when I started doing the, the, the pro-life thing. Because that was the one issue that we weren't talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking about murder. 
well, you know, that's right there in the Ten Commandments. We're talking about mm -hmm. sex outside of marriage. Well, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, for, I mean, that's right there in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Boom, you know, number one, okay? I, I get all of that, right? But, oh my goodness, I didn't start to put the pieces together until I started getting into the Word of God looking for an answer to abortion. And I, it, it didn't take long. Exodus chapter 1, we got a late-term abortion in Exodus chapter 1, and I'm seeing the answer to the problem right there with right the there. midwives. They defy Pharaoh, which was you know, a, a death sentence to defy Pharaoh. But oh my goodness, they didn't care what Pharaoh said. They stood up, they saved the life of, the, of that baby and that mother, by the way. And then I saw God's response. God protected the midwife, and then he gave the midwives home. He blessed their lives. I'm looking at the answer now to the question that he has called me to address as a pro-lifer. Mm. See, I've said it many times, never to you, since we never met, all right. Mm -hmm. But Moses mm -hmm. mm. yep. and Jesus, mm. both of them. There were two genocides that took place around those two my, births. And I'm like, my, my. people, church, what are we thinking allowing a genocide of any kind to happen mm -hmm. right now? Are we right. crazy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think we have to be. When you look at one of the many ways that God blesses you, he blesses you by allowing your people to grow. Yeah. He blessed you know, Abraham, more than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. Your people were going to be many. Your people were going to be great. This is one of the ways God blesses you. Well, abortion in our community is the exact opposite right. of that. There's no question in my mind that that's a, sat a satanic plot mm -hmm. against all of us. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so we need to come to grips with the fact that, yes, the Bible has the answer. Yes, God's way is the way that works, and God's way is the way that will be the answer to all of our problems. It'll solve it if we get closer to the Word of God. You know, what's interesting is that they call the Holocaust the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. There were six million Jews and, was it three million Christians? Not very many Christians stood up. Mm -mm. And I look at that and I'm like, wait a minute. So if there were 9 million that died during the Holocaust, mm -hmm. why aren't we calling what's going on in the abortion industry a Holocaust? Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. there, there's no question. From, from what, 1882 to, to 1968, mm -hmm. the Klan lynched 3,446 Negroes. And this is according to Tuskegee Institute's own study. Right. This is their data, all right? Mm -hmm. Now, Abortion outstrips that entire number, all of that, in less than four days. Yep. Four the, days. Four, four days. But mm -hmm. well, what took the Klan 86 years? Mm -hmm. Lynching. Mm -hmm. Abortion in just my community outstrips that number in less than four days. You know, in the first hour, you had talked about the, the numbers. Um, of what it takes to make sure that any society remains. What's the birth rate? 2.1. That's the replacement, replacement level. Rate. Just mm -hmm. replacement, not growth level. No, no, no. no. If there's 10 of you, there'll still be 10. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm 
No more, no less. And what's it at right now? Right now, we're down to 1.8. We're below the replacement level. Mm -hmm. And that's clear to me. And again, when, when, I, when I crunch the numbers, I'm looking at if we don't stop the rate at which we are aboarding our children right now, mm -hmm. we've got about 30 years left before we drop down to 1.3, mm -hmm. which is irreversibility. Yep. Mm -hmm. You don't come back from that. So I think the church needs to stop drinking the Kool-Aid oh, sure. and, and buying into all this. Oh, absolutely. Say mm -hmm. that again. I mean, really, mm -hmm. we've got to stop. It's, it's time's out for that. We don't have time for that. Yeah, and what's really frustrating is that what you see on TV is screams of racism here, racism there, and uh, nobody's looking at the great big stinky elephant oh, yeah. that, you know, you can smell. I mean, he's right there, and nobody oh, yeah. talks about that. Oh, yeah. And uh, it just... Uh, I, I'm trying to do I get emotional. I, I, I get emotional about this kind of thing because you can see it and you want to, and you know what the answer is. Right. It's like you stay, <laughs> hey, it's in the Bible. Yep. And, and that's what compels me to the word of God mm -hmm. is I know where the answers are. I, I, I look at, and my vantage point, point was um, different in, 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 in the aspects that you hear about the inner city community and mm -hmm. you know, those who come from humble beginnings. That's not my story. I, I, I came from an environment of a man and a woman who came from humble beginnings, but mm -hmm. became successful. And, and so my life had a certain level of, I don't even know what it is. It, it, it wasn't atypical, it was typical. Mm -hmm. The community I grew up in of folks who happened to look like me. And to see that individuals today who suffer, even those who came from my, uh, 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 let's say they're my age and then the younger generations you see today that uh, no father at home, all the things that we talk about all the time. And you know what the answer is because I experienced the answer in my childhood growing up. Mm -hmm. right. And that's what gets me, it, folks, I've seen it. I grew up in it. I saw folks come from nothing and become something mm -hmm. financially, um, not only financially, but in terms of their families, just a good, solid, middle-class, upper-middle-class community of overachievers. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then today, you see them pushing this, I'll just call it drivel, I don't know what else to call it. Well, there's other words I could call it, but this is a Christian show. So <laughs> let's stick with, and you get what I'm stating here, and mm -hmm. this gets, gets me worked up, is you know what the answers are. Mm -hmm. If you could just get people to slow down long enough and really listen and not parrot what they hear in mainstream media mm -hmm. and within certain church circles as well. Now see, for me, mm -hmm. we have the answer, which means if we're the ones who have the answer, just like that, it becomes our responsibility. Yeah. yeah. And this is the thing that makes you me so mad. The truth. Because so. it's like, the, okay, let's, let's take slavery, for example. All right. Shall we? Mm -hmm. Shall we? Do you know, if it weren't for the church, mm -hmm. all you guys still be slaves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My goodness, the church because played a big part. Because the church yeah. stood up. Church stood up. Mm -hmm. What happened with the civil rights movement? Same thing. The, church the same thing. Mm -hmm. The church got involved. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The founding of this nation. Yeah. The, the church. church. That's stood right. Up. Mm -hmm. Because we, as the church, mm -hmm. understand we're all created equal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. We're not created equal because the Constitution says so. Right. Mm -hmm. 
or the Declaration of Independence. Mm -mm. We're created equal because God says we're created mm -hmm. equal. Our creator. So what are we thinking to just sit back and do nothing? Oh, I, I, that, I, I can't stop being stunned by that, particularly when I realize what's at stake here and how much it has cost us. I mean, if, if we're just going, we're talking about abortion. Abortion right now takes more lives than all 13 leading causes of death in my community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Forget heart disease, forget cancer, forget diabetes, forget stroke, forget high blood pressure, forget all that. Put all 13 together, abortion alone right. takes more than all 13 leading causes of death. Now, among those 13 leading causes of death is homicide. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. What about Chicago? Hey, mm -hmm. abortion takes 42 times more lives than homicide. Right. Gosh. Homicide. So this is an issue that the church cannot ignore. This is an issue that the church must address. And this is well within the scope of our leaders in the church. That's right. You know, we need to make the Bible applicable. It's one thing to have a fantastic sermon on Sunday. Boom! Everybody's coming to Christ. Thank God for that. But the problem is we get up on Monday morning, pick up the newspaper, and can't apply anything we heard on Sunday to what we're reading on, on Monday. Monday. Mm -hmm. We have to start preaching from a perspective where the Bible is applicable to our everyday life. And when we do that, everything will change. I agree. Everything will change. You know, you probably know who David Barton is. Everybody oh, does. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. We love David Barton around love here. David but Barton. he made the statement that was the pastor's job mm. before. Oh, yeah. No question. You take the headlines mm -hmm. and you put scripture to it and say, this is how this works. But we're not doing that now. Yeah, <laughs> we did this at the founding of this nation when, mm -hmm. when the church stood up, that. stood up and said uh, to King George, pound sand, exactly. we're not taking this treatment mm -hmm. from you anymore mm -hmm. and that's why we have a nation today oh yeah um but for for some reason uh, i just call it bad theology I mean, mm -hmm. pastors think that uh what do they call it i, I call it the living your best life now they <laughs> 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 write books and stuff and i'm better living and all this kind of it's stuff it's all about me my four yeah and I'm like, my door oh mm -hmm. my goodness i say it doesn't mean anything there's no purpose mm-hmm mm -hmm. And it has to be purpose. And when there's purpose, the church rises up and we mm -hmm. get what we seek. Yep. Uh, you know, Walter, earlier you were sharing your story about how you thought you were going to be an NFL player. And then oh, yeah. all of a sudden God gives you this passion for preaching. Mm -hmm. oh, Would you man. trade it for anything? I tell you, there have been some days. <laughs> let me, let me, let me I hear you. you. I'm sitting in court. Mm -hmm. I thought for sure I was not going to go to jail in court. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on, nothing but help women. Now, one woman testifying against me, the only, only voice against me is the executive director from the abortion clinic, mm -hmm. and we impeached her testimony with videotape evidence. No question. There's no way I, I, I'm going to jail, but you know what? How it, long did you sit in there? It, it, it became clear mm -hmm. that I was going. Mm -hmm. And there were times 
like that, that I begin to say, Lord, what in the world have you got me into? Yeah. What am I going to do in jail? In jail. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is not exactly what I signed up for. I'm supposed to be, you know, in a church and we're preaching and we're taking up offerings. We're marrying and we're bearing and we're counseling. I'm not supposed to be going to jail. All right. For doing your work yeah. on top of that. Ooh. God loves you and your baby. Let us help you. Yeah, this is where it got me. All right. <laughs> yeah, I am on my way to jail. You know, but you know, when I was in jail, the preacher just took over. Yeah. I mean, I'm in, I'm in jail and I'm having prayer mm. and Bible study at midnight like Paul and Silas. Mm. There was this one white guy who wanted to get in a group of a whole bunch of black guys, okay? But, you know, he was white and okay. he wasn't exactly welcome in the group. And all of a sudden, Lori passes his message on, on to mm. me because, was it his mom? His mom was in line, in the visiting line in front of me, and she was telling me about how her, I was telling her why my husband was in jail. Mm -hmm. And she was telling me, you know, he's probably hurt. My son sees these black men and they're mm -hmm. gathered together in Bible study and he tries to listen, but you know, so yeah, I know he can't get any closer than what he is. That's right, because in, in jail, the jails, the races are separated. Oh yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. I get that message. I come back and I say, brothers, we can't do this no more. Mm -hmm. I go get the white guy. Mm -hmm. I bring him right now I said, this, is he's one of us. This is my brother. We're gonna to have to accept him. He's gotta be welcome into this Bible study. And I tell you what, things begin to change. Oh mm. um, my goodness, it was amazing what began to happen. Mm -hmm. And these barriers are starting to be broken down. So God was at work in my life by way of the preacher thing mm -hmm. from the from very beginning, right. even in jail, even in jail. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this. So I'm beginning, my mind's beginning to see, well, maybe it's more to it than just the church circuit, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, you had to go because of me. <laughs> <laughs> see, I would not have seen him. Uh, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah. On YouTube. Yeah. Before I met him. See, I had to, that yeah. had to happen, so. I'm sorry. Uh, well, uh -huh. you know, we'll talk later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was you, your wife. Uh, okay. the reason why. Uh -huh. I can remember it had become clear to me I'm going to jail. Mm -hmm. The video did, didn't make any difference. Mm -hmm. The line didn't make any difference. Mm -hmm. I had to go. Mm -hmm. I was just on my way to go. And no matter what, even the bailiffs are going, man, this is going to throw this brother in jail. He's done nothing, all right? Mm -hmm. So the night before, mm -hmm. I knew I'm going. I take my wedding ring off and I give it to my wife. I said, now this is where I'm coming back. Mm -hmm. And I told her to hold on to it because I needed her to hold on to this because I was coming back to her mm -hmm. no matter what. And I wanted something to come, come back to, all mm -hmm. right? Because I was feeling pretty low. Mm -hmm. I was feeling pretty low. And I tell you, when I did get out, she had it. She had it, and I've put it on, and I've ne never, you know, bothered to, to take it off like, like, like that again. Again, God used his word, his model for men and for women. He, he, he used his word to shape my life in ways that I could not even imagine. Right. That's why 30 years later, I'm still married. That's why Lori's my Proverbs 18.22. She's my good thing after 30 years, line like we were talking about. She's not just a good thing anymore. She's a great thing. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> okay, so you had this nice little experience. Mm. When you, Did that hit you too? Because when he says that, always hits me. <laughs> a couple of questions. <laughs> when you start changing things behind the bars, yeah. Did they decide they needed to throw you out? I had a situation where they were angry that I didn't get all four years I was facing. Mm -hmm. The reason why I didn't get all four years I was facing because the, the courtroom is packed, the media is everywhere, and then we played a videotape and it's obvious the abortion industry is a problem. My rights are being biased right there on videotape. Mm -hmm. The only testimony against me lie, and the, it's right there on videotape. She lied. They got like no case against me anymore, right? And so the judge saves face and says, well, he ends up giving me 30 instead of the four years. But I tell him as soon as I get out, I'm coming right back. And so the courtroom breaks up. Boom, 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 boom. It breaks all up. Well, as it, as it turns out, as it turns out, God used me in a way to reach a lot of brothers uh, mm -hmm. in jail for his sake mm -hmm. that I never would have right. at all. Mm -hmm. And it, it helped strengthen me as a minister uh, to the brothers I meet today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can relate to that. And it has helped me go deeper and further in his ministry. Mm -hmm. It also kind of gave you an, an understanding of way back when, what we're up against when it comes to how far they will go mm. to stop the message oh. of life. Oh, oh. yeah. yeah. It, it's not about, they talk about, you know, that they love women, it's about helping women. It's not about that at all. Mm -hmm. We were helping them. And after they got the help, women decided they didn't want to go to the abortion anymore. They had to stop the help. They had to stop the help. It's not about helping women. It's not about making life better for women. This the abortion is, industry is The abortion mm -mm. industry is mm -mm. The abortion industry is only interested in making money. That's right. And they make a lot of it. They oh, make yeah. a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've actually exposed some of the ways that they're making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. That uh, people just... Oh, yeah. we, nobody knew about this stuff. Mm -hmm. That young man that... Uh, David Delighton. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, they're still going after him. They yeah. are still going after him. And that's that? the abortion distortion, right? Yeah. You, you expose the heinous crimes that the abortion industry is committing, and you're... Guilty. Guilty, mm -hmm. yeah. You're the one that has to defend yourself and in right. court and got to hire lawyers. And it's kind of like, it doesn't even make sense. They're guilty of multiple crimes on multiple levels and no I mean I think maybe Orange County has mm. actually prosecuted them. Mm. but outside of that you know, nothing is really happening to the abortion industry no and the attorney general that was in power at that time was now running for president oh uh, yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> wow yeah he's running for wow. president wow oh boy yeah mm. Let me tell you, yeah. that, that David Delighton thing, I need to give him crap. I've known David for a long time, even when he was out here in California with, with Lila Rose. With Lila, right. actually. Yeah, and then she yeah. was out here in California um, before they all in Washington, D.C. now. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've got, I was working with David, 
I still am. I've got all of his videos on my website. So when the pastors come to my website, they go to my library. And in my library, there's all types of materials that they can't get from mainstream media. Right. Some of those materials are all David's videos, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, YouTube could take them down. We were concerned about that in the very beginning, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But they, I, I, I still had them up on my website in my library. Well, the, the brothers go to my library at night when they want to see something other than mainstream media news, all right? Mm -hmm. They know I'm black, they know I'm a Christian, they know I'm preacher, licensed and ordained, they know I'm pro-life. They come to my library in their home office. Mm -hmm. And they were looking at those videos about the abortion industry from David Delight. Right. It was blowing the brothers away. Yeah. They began to see just how ruthless, how callous, mm -hmm. how satanic. Mm -hmm the abortion industry was. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Very good description of it. It mm. is. It is. Cuts right mm. to the chase. Yeah, yeah it, 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 there's no question about it. Um, you weren't in the room when I got over here. Oh, oh sorry about that. And uh, that's okay, but I shared with them uh, something that happened that kind of helped me up getting, getting out here. Mm. Mm. And it was uh, a gal who's pretty much on the East Coast. I'm not going to tell you exactly where she was, but it's something that, that um, just out of the blue, God did, connected us a few weeks ago. And it was more of a, the GLC connection. Mm. I sent her, uh, today I just felt like I was supposed to send her mm. a link to Our Light of the Southwest with Katherine Davis. All right. So she's watching that. Catherine was Catherine. Oof. Catherine was Catherine. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. she's awesome now. So she as is. this gal is watching this program, and she keeps getting interrupted, one of those interruptions was a friend of hers who told her, you know, me and my kids used to go through the dumpsters in Buffalo mm. to find baby parts to expose the abortion industry. Mm -hmm. We can't conceive of things like this. Mm -hmm. Can't. Because I, it's too, it's too. The community where I grew up in Southern California oh. had two abortion clinics mm. and it's not even 100,000 people in that community, at least then it is mm. today. Had two clinics, mm -hmm. and one of which was um, exposed. And, well, I can say it was Inglewood, California. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where they found lockers full of baby parts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. All right. The end of this month. All right. August 31st, I believe, is when it begins in Richmond, Virginia. Richmond, huh? Mm -hmm. yeah. Then it goes down to Atlanta, then over to Birmingham. And I know you guys are going to be part of that. It's the National Day of Mourning. That's right. Mm -hmm. right. I'm so excited about that. Catherine Davis is, is just a godsend. She's an incredible, dynamic mm -hmm. uh, black woman who's pro-life all the way. Mm -hmm. And she comes from a very personal experience. So she has the ability to relate. And in my opinion, uh, black women have the most effective voices in the black pro-life movement. And so I, I just 
want to give Catherine a shout out, tell much I love her. Lori and I are going to be in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Catherine, just a couple of nights ago, gave me my assignment <laughs> in Birmingham. <laughs> she told me what I'm going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. And so we can't wait to go, and we want everyone to, you know, be a, be a part of this some way, even if you can't do anything more, but get to get to the website. I think it's the National Day of Mourning yes. Life. Um, I know that it is a procession. Yeah. Cars. Yes. yes. Because obviously from Richmond to Birmingham right. is it's quite a distance. It is a little mm -hmm. bit more than I'd care to walk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, the whole point of it is that they are erecting huge, huge abortion clinics. Oh, yeah. At these three areas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And. Um, Sadly, they're in the black communities. Oh, yeah. And oh, they're yeah. huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're huge. The one in Richmond, right next to a church. What was oh, that church? Wow. Next to uh, Bishop Darrell Husband's church. Wow. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Walk out the front door and it's right there. Man, Down on, in Atlanta, it's in the Cherry Hill on. area. Oh. And over in Birmingham, it's just blocks away from where, ooh, during the civil rights mm. thing. The church got blown third, up and the little girls yeah, died. Third church, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, 16th Street, I think. Oh. Yep. So, it's like... Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, do you people have no shame? No, they In don't. what you're doing? No, they don't. They, they don't. have no fear of the church. They have no fear they of the church. They have no fear of the they church. Just, mm -mm. Why? Because we don't fight. Yep. Because we don't fear God. Mm -hmm. That's Absolutely. why. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We... I'm sorry. Think more, well, don't stop. We think more of ourselves, more of what we need, more of the immediate mm -hmm. than we do of the eternal. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't matter if immediately I, I, I need this or I need that or I'm facing this, I'm facing that. When you look at it in light of the eternal mm -hmm. and all of a sudden when you can see the eternal, you begin to realize there's nothing you could suffer down here that would in any way, shape, form, or fashion justify your place in heaven mm -hmm. with him. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. And that, that shapes your thinking now. And so we need to rethink and not focus so much on, on, on the present, you know, on what's happening right now. This is the temporary. Mm -hmm. Oh, but the eternal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you were talking about uh, going from being an NFL player to being yeah. a preacher, <laughs> that's where my head went. I went, yeah, you traded in something mm -hmm. that would bring you oh. fame and fortune here yeah. mm -hmm. for something that is everlasting. everlasting. You're changing lives. Mm -hmm. You're saving lives. And that's what I'm looking at when it comes to this particular issue. Mm -hmm. Say someone is listening and they know that they could get involved. They could go to one of the marches. They could be part of the procession. They could donate mm -hmm. to any one of mm -hmm. the many organizations mm -hmm. Easy. that are doing something to put a stop to this mm -hmm. and they don't do it. Oh, wait, let's fast forward to where you get to stand before God and answer for your life. Mm -hmm. And what happens if 
your lack of action allows there to be not one, two, three, but thousands, thousands of babies lost because you failed to act on what God told you to do, what God told you to say. Yes. I know uh, two men of God whose stories are similar. This gentleman is one. Pastor Herb Lust is the other. He only played three years in the NFL Mm -hmm. because he knew he was called to preach. And when I uh, spent some time with him, this about four years ago, uh, because his baby is the ministry, and he kidnapped me for the entire day, showing me (laughs) all what God was doing. And I watched, because I'd heard the story about him walking away um, before I'd ever met him because his best friend is Pastor Bruce. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm watching him passionately talk. Now you see the passion in, in their voices and in their mm-hmm. demeanor. And, and he has that same when he gets going. And um, I said, you know, you lack nothing. He said, what are you saying? I said, well, I'm thinking about what you could have had because when he, was, when he left, they were renewing his contract. Mm-hmm. He's gonna make the big bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay, because this is back in what the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. And he uh, is about to make some you know, real money, as they say. But I look at what God had done with the ministry mm-hmm. and the work he was doing, and I'm not exactly sure how old Herb is. I know he's a little bit older than we are. Um, he lacks nothing. Mm-hmm. And what he does, he has a passion for. You know, and this and that, and this, we're gonna do this and then that and so forth. When most folks in their late 60s would look, be looking for a place to go post up someplace and relax. Mm-hmm. And um, it ministered to me big time. You know, so it, 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 it for those of you that are, that, that are out there and you're wondering where you are in life, say you're a Christian and you're maybe in that desert experience or something like that, I, I want you to know if you continue on the path, God has something for you. I guess the point I'm making and these two wonderful individuals here are perfect examples of that because um, the passion for what you do just, it oozes out of you, mm. you know? Well, you know, it's never too late to let God have his way with you. Exactly. Mm-mm. There is no retirement in the Bible. Oh, so the way I see it, okay, so if, you're, if you actually get to the point where you don't have to have an eight to five job, right, right. Right. like normal people, right. mm-hmm. wow. What a great time to let God's passion flow through you. Mm-hmm. Get passionate about the things he's passionate about. Mm-hmm. I have to be, like I have to be. See, I understand that when it's all over, when it all comes to an end, I'm gonna stand before God one day, all of us are, yep. and God's gonna judge our lives. Mm-hmm. God's gonna ask me one question. He's gonna say, Walter, did you do do? what I told you to do? And there's nothing I'm going to be able to say that will justify not doing doing. what God told me to do. Absolutely nothing. He's going to say, well, I I thought I was God. I thought I had all power in my hand. I thought I knew everything. I thought I was everywhere at the same time. I I put you in this family. I put you right there where I wanted you, where I need you, according to my plan. There's nothing I'm going to be able to say that is going to in any way justify not doing what he has called me to to do. do. Mm -hmm. So now I'm determined. 
I want to do everything God has called me to do. Let me tell you one more thing. Heaven is great. Heaven is awesome. All the good stuff's in heaven, except for one thing. One good thing. Mm -hmm. The only time you're going to ever have to tell God thank you when it counts is when you tell him thank you under adversity. Mm. You see, when you're in heaven, it's all good. Right. There's no adversity in heaven. You're walking on streets of gold. You got long white robes. You got a starry crown. I mean, you're sitting at the table. Oh, my goodness, with all the rest of the same. And Christ is right there. I mean, I guess you do like him. I guess it is all good. I guess it'd be pretty easy to tell him thank you then. Mm -hmm. But right now here on earth is the only time any of us have to tell God thank you for saving our soul when it counts. When nobody else wants to tell him thank you. When nobody else wants to stand up and pay the cost. This is the time that you can tell Christ thank you when it really matters. Really matters. And so from now on, until he calls me home to be with him, this is my only shot yes. in all of eternity mm -hmm. to try and tell him thank you for what he's done for me. Yes. And all my goodness, he's done everything. Mm -hmm. And faith without works is dead. Oh. Mm -hmm. Ah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do we believe him? That's the question. Do we believe him? They well, have this. Did we cover this? Oh, on the other shows we did. Yeah. The, uh, talk about that, um, the van. Oh. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. We have several projects. One of the projects is that Lori and I have decided to move our lives literally into a class BRV. I call it a van. We're going to live in a van. Let me tell you, we moved the house, got out of that. Now we're in a studio with, that had a storage unit. Got rid of the storage unit. I was telling them before that my, our studio now is really just a, a studio. Uh, it's more like a studio and a storage unit, really, now. It's just all <laughs> one big place now. But the idea is that we're going to move our lives into the van so that we can spend more time in the cities with the pastors. Mm -hmm. No matter where I travel, I meet pastors and say, well, I want to do it. I just don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they can't afford the honorarium. They can't afford the airfare. They can't afford the hotel. You know, all these things are associated with bringing someone out of town and, and taking good care of them. Well, I said, don't worry about that. I'm going to be living in my van. I mean, maybe take up a free will offering and buy me some gas, but I'll be able to spend all the time I want to in the city, and I'll be able to pour what we need to pour into the lives of these pastors and help them get started and get the job done. I can't do that if I'm you know, just solely based in one place and got to fly here, or got to fly there. I can just roll up in, in, in the class VRV. I'm living in it. I got it all taken care of, stay as long as I want. Then I can go to the next city. And I can't wait to do that. Okay, so my dad used to have a business mm -hmm. selling RVs wow. before this place started. Wow, okay. Al. Albert. Albert O. Cooper. Wow. wow. So I can tell people that, you know what, RVs are great to vacation in. Mm -hmm. Personally, I wouldn't want to live in one. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're doing mm -hmm. is a sacrifice. You know, when you are talking about um, standing before the Lord mm -hmm. and realizing that 
Thank you, Lord. You actually enabled me to live my life in a way that praised you. Mm -hmm. Or not. There you go. I want people to understand. When you're really serving the Lord, it might look all sunshine, flowers, and happiness on the surface mm -hmm. to everybody else. But there is a lot of paddling under the water that's mm -hmm. going on because you're having to believe God all the time. Mm -hmm. Every day when you get up, you make that choice of praising him for his word, praising him because he is your source, because he supplies all of your needs. Mm -hmm. And you're having to trust God minute by minute. Mm -hmm. By minute. That Every other day. people don't have, have to think about mm -hmm. doing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know you guys are doing it. Mm -hmm. oh. I know you're already doing it and you're not even in the RV yet. No. Mm -hmm. You know why I know? Hmm. I haven't seen you on mainstream media. You know why I haven't seen you on mainstream media? Why? They don't want to hear your voice. Yeah. No, they don't. Mm -mm. They really mm -mm. don't. And they have said as much mm -hmm. as that. Mm -hmm. And there are some times when I can do something that will force them to give me you know, a little a bit of time. But you really almost have to put them in that position. And even when they give you a little bit of time, they want to distort your message. And they do distort mm -hmm. it. It's called editing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so you're, you're totally right. You're and, absolutely right. And that's right. a scary thing. When, mm. when we see how mainstream media is, oh, yeah. how they control the narrative, how their voices are exactly the same, their talking points are exactly the same, mm -hmm. I sit there and I go, thank you, Lord, for GLC. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. Help us be who you want us to be mm -hmm. and do what you need done. Amen. Because people like you, mm who are doing something for the Lord, you reach the church by getting in an RV and driving there, yep. or by other people getting behind you and going, okay, time for some unity, folks. Mm -hmm. Let's get some things done. Let's be the church. Let's be part of Jesus' answer, the answer to Jesus' prayer, Father, make them one. Yes. That's what bothers me. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. I'm not seeing the unity. Yes. But we're working on it, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. That's what media can do. That's what media can do. <laughs> Let's get the messaging out. God has called us to this. Mm -hmm. And whether it's one or two or three, he doesn't need big numbers. He doesn't. True. He can use He's, just you. This is a little remnant. He's good with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He has all power in his hand. There's nothing he can't do. And when you leave it up to him, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, all things. So he will do it. But my thing is, church, I want the church to be recognizing their responsibility before God to do what is necessary to do our utmost to stop what is going on in this nation Absolutely. in so many arenas. Oh, yeah. We've got the answer. Mm -hmm. It's time to let people know. True. Walter and Lori Hoy, thank you so much 
for making the trip to come out here and be part of the Isaiah Project and be part, of course, of Light of the Southwest. Amen. It's such an honor to meet you. You just have no idea. Wow. When you get to rub elbows with somebody that you know looked at God and said, really? Yeah. I'm serving you and I'm in jail? <laughs> but you trusted him anyway. Trusted him anyway. God bless you. God bless you. Love you. Love yeah. you too. Thank you, Wani, once again hey. for hey. co-hosting. I love co-hosting with you. I hope you enjoyed meeting Walter and Lori. I've been wanting them here for a long time and thanks to my connection with Wani, that happened. And <laughs> God is good. And we are gonna win this fight, but we gotta do it together. We'll see you next time. you exclusively by the love gifts and offerings of our faithful partners. Thank you, partners.